Now, we've all had occasions, I'm sure, in our lives when we were following a road map, perhaps driving. Maybe it's the map on our phone or an actual physical paper map that we used to use. And as we follow this road map, we are finding ourselves and we turn left or we're turning right. And But, you know, it's very important when you hold a map to hold it the right side up. Because when you hold it the wrong side up, you know, sometimes with a, which side is north on your cell phones, you might find yourself doing a left when you should be doing a right or, or vice versa. You see, orientation of how you hold the map is exceedingly important. The orientation of how we hold a map. The same is true in a greater, say, a greater way when we consider world events, national events, the news that we encounter today in the world. What side is up is a very important question, I think, to, to ask and to answer as we reflect on current events and what's happening in our world today. What side is up? And so this message, a short message, I just want to spend some time with you on this passage from Acts 17. And I'm going to ask the question with you and answer it, what side is up? What side is up? From the words that this mob was speaking, these rioters, when they said, these men, Paul and Silas and others, these men have turned the world upside down. So I want to ask the question with you, what side is up? We're going to look first at Paul's story, Paul and Silas, their story. Then we're going to look at the story of humanism and God's story before we make some brief application. So Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey now, a uh, second missionary journey. Macedonia is the place they had been in Philippi, and they had, by God's grace, seen uh, some success there, spiritual success. We know the stories of Lydia and, and the jailer and others. And they had also encountered opposition there, as is very common in Paul's ministry and in the world today. And so now he comes through other cities to this place called Thessalonica. And it's interesting to read Paul's commentary on his experience in Thessalonica. Luke, of course, gives us Acts chapter 17. Uh, but Paul later writes to the Thessalonians. He says, after, even after that, we had suffered before. So Philippi, they were in prison. We were shamefully entreated, he says, as you know at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So what is Paul doing in Thessalonica? Well, he is doing what he's always doing. Paul is a witness. He's sharing the gospel of Christ now in a new environment. Even though he had faced opposition for doing that very thing in other places, Paul now in this new territory is continuing to share the gospel of Christ. Verse 1 and 2, he says, well, Luke records, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and as was Paul's manner then, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So they come, they find a synagogue, they start to reason out of the scriptures, start to dialogue with the Jews, the Jewish population. Three Sabbath days, so not a long period, but enough to really engage. And so we see here, Paul is doing apologetics, he's doing evangelism as he preaches uh, the gospel as he proclaims Christ as the Messiah and Lord. Now, what did he preach? The content of his message. We can learn from that as well, I think, as gospel witnesses. And verse 3 gives us a, a short description of that. It's his opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. This is his message. And it's very interesting when you read these words. You hear in these words actually an echo 
of Christ. Luke 24, if you know Luke 24 at the end there, uh, from verse 46, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Paul is echoing, really, what Christ had commanded all the apostles to do. And Christ, of course, had then said, ye are witnesses of these things. And so Paul, his story now that we encounter as we read through the book of Acts, Paul's story was to be a witness of Christ, to echo to proclaim, to, to dialogue about the truth of the gospel. And Paul and Silas are being faithful now as the spirit of Jesus empowers them to do this very thing. Their story is really part of God's bigger story, isn't it? God's bigger story of bringing the gospel to all nations. Now, what was the reaction there to Paul's ministry? Because I think this is where we can make some lessons for ourselves. What was the reaction to Paul's ministry? I think there's at least three or four responses that we see in this passage. Number one, some believed. Some believed. Jewish believers, devout Greeks, leading women, in fact, as well. And then there's this man by the name of Jason. The name suggests he's probably not Jewish. Uh, he seems to be quite wealthy, and he is one of these early believers in the city of Thessalonica, from which later, no doubt, the church was formed, the Church of the Thessalonians. So some believed, and that's wonderful, but some also resisted the, the unbelieving Jews. And it describes that they were envious, uh, jealousy really is what's happening here, uh, a misplaced zeal for what they thought was the truth, which grew into jealousy and envy and even hostility as we see, a, a resentment, uh, very physical ways, opposition to the truth of the gospel. We see the reception in a positive way, but we also see gospel opposition they resisted these jews and unbelief was the worldview or the the thought process driving it refusing to believe the truths that paul was preaching so some believed some resisted many were deceived in paul's audience paul the great man of god the evangelist the apologist of of the gospel Chris, a witness of christ and yet many were deceived even then verse 5 but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company. Some translations would say they formed a mob. That's what happened anyway. And they set the whole city, the, all the city in an uproar. There was confusion. Uh, they were deceived, actually, by half-truths. And most in that society, that local region of Thessalonica, were confused. The whole city was in an uproar. Why can't these Jews just get along? What is happening in our city? Why, why are these foreigners coming and introducing these truths to cause this commotion? Please just get rid of the problem. There was confusion. There was resistance. There was you know, deception. Uh, there was an uproar. That was the reception to Paul's faithful ministry in Thessalonica. And many things haven't changed, have they? Because still today, this is how gospel witnesses are received. How the truth of Christ, when it's preached, divides people in society. Paul's story really is, in some ways, our story, isn't it? As we preach the gospel. Some believe, and we thank the Lord for that. Some resist. Many are deceived. And many are just plain confused and do not understand in society. That's Paul's story. 
But we see a bigger story here as well, man's story. Let's just look a little more closely now at the confusion of these city officials. There was commotion, there was even violence. Jason is attacked, dragged into a public court. Charges, there was shouting, there was confusion. These men have turned the world upside down is, is what is said of them. And Jason's part of the problem, he's received them. There's emotion, right? We see emotion here. We see injustice even. Why is Jason dragged into court? It's not his fault. He's not the one who is creating the mob in the first place. There's injustice. There's ignorance as well. Uh, they don't know all the facts. There's confusion. There are people misunderstanding. And in fact, there's an ignorance. They don't want to know the facts. Those leaders could have found out the facts, but clearly they didn't want to know the facts because something deeper was at play here as we see often in the societies today when, when the gospel is preached and it's misunderstood. There's something deeper, and I think we see it in, in the charge they bring against Jason. He has spoken against the decrees of Caesar, and he's worshiping this, this, this other king, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is commotion in this setting when the gospel is preached, as there is commotion and even injustice and opposition in our world today as the gospel is faithfully preached. Because in, in back of it all or underlying it all is a different worldview, no more than that. A different ideology, no more than that. An idolatry. Some worship Caesar or the things of man and some worship Christ, the Lord of glory, seated on the throne. These people in Thessalonica some of them, anyways, were resisting this truth, but the most of them were just confused. And they wanted their culture, they wanted their society just to carry on, get rid of the causes of this problem. We want things to continue as they are. We prefer to continue living in light and in, in, the, in the pale of the devil's lie than to allow this truth to transform us. We also live in the same situation today. Increasingly, the gospel is received with opposition, isn't it? Increasingly, there's, there's animosity and even injustice, certainly ignorance when the gospel is preached. Increasingly, our so-called Christian societies are ruled by unchristian ideologies, lies of Satan. And so when the world hears our message, what do they say about us? Upside down, backward causing trouble, a blight, a blight to society, a, a distraction. There's emotion and there's opposition to gospel witness. But Paul's story here and what's happening in Thessalonican society in Acts 17 is part of a bigger story, isn't it? God's story. Because you see, God's message of the gospel has always turned the world upside down. God's story of the good news for sinful humans has always been countercultural in that sense. In the Old Testament, we see Babel and those who follow Babel. And we see the Messiah and those who anticipate the coming of Messiah, the promise of Christ that's coming. And we see opposition to God's truth from the very beginning, Genesis 3, don't we? And we see that history of opposition and idolatry continued on through the history of the Old Testament into the New. But Jesus Christ comes into this mess, into this broken world, and he suffers. 
As we know, that's the gospel. Not only suffering, not only living perfectly and suffering as a result of sin, but also uh, crushing the liar's head, defeating him, and turning Satan's lie upside down. And so now the New Testament, this period we live in now, the New Testament church is the time in which the gospel message is turning the world upside down, as it were. Or maybe we should say it this way. The gospel message is an upside down message for the world, turning the world back right side up again as God's truth is proclaimed. As the gospel echoing Christ's command to the, to the disciples in Luke 24, as gospel witnesses go forth. It is necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and this Jesus we proclaim. What side is up? What side is up in an upside-down world? What side is up in our thinking, in our philosophies, in our worldviews? Well, the worldview of humanism, the culmination of many ide ideologies that are in opposition to Christ, Satan's lie, living for today, living for man, the things of man. But faith in Christ is... An opposite, isn't it? Christ's truth sets us free from this ideology. Ideology, Faith changes our spiritual orientation radically. Like Paul's description to the Thessalonian church later on in his first letter to them, chapter 1, verse 9, you turn, from God to, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivers us from the wrath to come. We are gospel witnesses of these things. Our job is to turn the world upside down. Or, or maybe the other way around. Our job is to echo the truths of Christ as we are given them and to turn it up, the, a right-side-up message for an upside-down world. That's really the gospel, countercultural in so many ways. Do we live this countercultural truth? In our societies, of course, that's what our calling is, isn't it? And we as church leaders are called to, to, to encourage others as well in this, in our church communities. Do we proclaim it, our lives, a countercultural message to what the world is saying? Upside down in the world's thinking, but right side up in God's perspective. What side is up is the question we ask as we reflect on this narrative. What side is up in our lives? What side is up in our philosophy? What side is up in our ministries? You know, when you read a roadmap, which way are you holding it? If you're holding it the wrong way, you're going to make wrong turns every time, right? It's all about orientation, spiritual orientation. And by God's grace, we have been called out of one lifestyle into another. We've been called out of darkness into light, of course. We have been given a new spiritual orientation altogether. And so I think uh, we can make several applications from this truth from that perspective. First, our world often feels upside down. Because it is. The world in which we live is an upside down world. We call it total depravity, right? Original depravity, the effects of it, the effects of sin in our world today. The world is not evolving, the world is devolving. And we often experience the upside downness of it in our lives the brokenness around us even, and the, and the problems. We should not be surprised by the problems of the world in which we live because it is an upside-down world. In fact, the good days are the exceptions in a bad and broken world, exceptions of grace and God's common goodness to us. 
So the world is upside down. And so we're not surprised when we see a lot of upside down things happening in our society around us. But the second application is that Jesus is still busy with us and with his church. He is still putting us right side up again, isn't he? We have the right spiritual orientation by grace. And we are busy being transformed by the gospel. Our churches, our communities, we as agents, therefore, thereof, by God's grace, by faith, we see it all differently. We see Christ and his truth. We are called by repentance to, to continue in this, repenting of, crucifying, putting off. It happened when we first believed with regeneration, a whole new way of seeing the world, not just a new worldview, but a new spiritual orientation, forgiven, justified, no longer dead, but now alive to God. And so we hold the map different than the world holds the map. They hold it upside down. We hold it right side up according to God's truth. And therefore, of course, we make different decisions and our lives are different than the sinful world as a follower of Christ in an unbelieving society. Jesus is busy putting things right side up again in our lives and in our churches. And yet, third, the gospel truth of Christ is very countercultural, isn't it? It goes against the true systems or the so-called true systems of the world. Christ's truth causes chaos in world systems that are oriented according to Satan's lie. And so the response, of course, is going to be opposition and resistance and perhaps mistreatment and injustice. Why does humanistic society hate true gospel witnesses? Because they hate Christ. Because they hate the gospel truth that convicts them. Because even the way we live is a witness against their lifestyle choices if they're following the Satan's lie with their lives. Humanistic society can learn to tolerate other perspectives. You know, we tolerate big business as long as they're not too greedy. And we tolerate the communists as long as they don't upset, you know, economy too much. And we tolerate the Muslims as long as they're not too radical. And we certainly tolerate the LGBTQ agenda because, well, they love the lie like the rest of the world. But Christians, gospel witnesses, no room for you. You turn the world upside down. At least that's what they think, right? You are judging us. Our very presence even sometimes is accused of judging those who are living opposed to God's truth. That's how Paul was treated. That's how the prophets of the Old Testament, many of them were treated. And that's how we are treated as well in a world that's upside down. And yet, we are gospel witnesses. Number four, we are gospel witnesses to an upside down world. We are witnesses of Christ and his truth turns the upside-down world back right-side up again by grace, if that's how the Spirit works through us. Jesus says this, right? Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's our calling as witnesses of Christ. We will receive opposition, and yet we believe the gospel as the antithesis to the devil's antithesis. We proclaim this truth evangelistically as good news in a bad world. We reason with sinners like Paul did, with loving compassion. It is our message, our words, and our witness 
confronts an upside-down world. Christ is coming again now, uh, we know, to put everything right side up again. But in the meantime, we have work to do. Christ is coming again to establish righteousness and justice. But in the meantime, we witness to his truth of righteousness and spiritual, true spiritual justice. Until then, we are called to be gospel witnesses in an upside-down world because, by grace, we know which side is up, unlike the unbelieving world. Let's pray together for grace. Holy God, may thy spirit continue to instruct us from thy truth so we may echo this glorious gospel to a broken, upside-down world. Make us faithful, we pray, faithful witnesses in a world of opposition. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.